Happy New Year, mates. Thanks for the ongoing support. If you have a resolution, I wish you the best of luck. Don't listen to the haters. If it gets you moving to a better place, it's valid. In this episode, the experience of being a gay man in modern society is told with Rai Tran. Rai now works in the tech industry, grew up in Southern California in an Asian immigrant Catholic household. We go over what it was like growing up repressed and then finding footing in the dating scene with little representation or guides to lead the way. The nuances of gay dating. And finally, modern masculinity and how the concept is much harder to grapple with as a man that is attracted to other men. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Overthinking the Modern World. Today we have Rai Tran with us, but before we get started, it is Christmas, depending on when this episode drops. So, how was your Christmas? It was really good. Um, my brothers and I all got like matching dunks, which is really sick. Matching dunks? Yeah, like Nike dunks, like pandas. Pandas? <laughs> um, they're like they're like a type of shoe brand, and so they're like Nike dunks, and they're like panda colored, like black and white colored. Oh, that's pretty cute. Your parents got you, or or we all like got them for each other, basically. So it was like a circle of like two hundred dollars shoes being passed around. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. But they're the exact same day match. Yeah. Did you all wear them for Christmas? Do you have a photo of that? No, we don't. We don't. Have, I can get I can get you a picture like down the line, but. But yeah. I'm gonna need that. Yeah. <laughs> and you flew all the way from New York for this episode. I did, yeah, just for you. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Okay, so according to the introduction, we're gonna be talking about gay dating, being gay in the modern world, and gay dynamics. So I think something interesting to start off on is kind of your childhood. Because you told me that you knew you were gay when you were pretty young, mm-hmm. which is not as common. Do you wanna talk us through that? Yeah, I think. Something really interesting is that you'll you'll talk to different types of people about this, and I knew I was I was aware of the fact that I was gay, um, probably when I was like six or seven years old, um, and I always talk to straight people about this. Like, when did they know that they were attracted to girls or guys or whatever they're attracted to? And I feel like oftentimes as kids we have a pretty good awareness of like what we're attracted to. So it was never like a question of like oh, am I attracted to one or the other? It was like, I'm attracted to this um, sex. Right. And um, and it was like trying to work through that, you know? Oh, so do you, th- do you think you realized very early on that, I guess, society frowns upon being homosexual in general? Definitely. Like, I came from a Catholic um, church. So, like, when I was like, really little, I was aware I was gay, and that was associated with a lot of negative feelings. So, you know, like... Um, you hear like jokes about it, like pray the gay away. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hear jokes about it all the time. Um, but like when I was little, like I was, I was literally like six or seven and I'd like cry myself to sleep trying wow. to pray, pray the gay away. Um, you would be like, praying. I would be praying. Yeah. Because um, in like the Catholic church, of course, like people are very, very against it, you know? Mm. And there's a lot of rhetoric passed around, even in passing, like you're a kid, but you're, um, you're well aware that it's something that's frowned upon and that's something that you, you don't want to talk about, you know? You hear people day to day say like, oh, that shit's gay. Or you hear people um, in the church saying that like this lifestyle, like they always say this lifestyle is a very bad lifestyle to follow, you mm-hmm. know? And so I was aware of it at an early age. and That's, and that's very disheartening. It is disheartening. Because I, I felt that, so I, I grew up in the church as well when yeah. I was six. 
And I went to Sunday school, uh, which is, you don't go to the regular service where they probably do talk about being anti-gay. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I was exposed to that. The, to be like a six-year-old and almost like hate yourself in, in some ways, like have that conflict, I think is, uh, that's really sad. I think like the, the more like day-to-day thing mm. is that socially as like a gay person, you're aware by your peers like your peers make it known that being gay is not okay right, right. because though like you know like when guys talk when when we were little and when society was was more accepting of like certain language that was thrown away thrown around like someone would say like that shit's so gay or like they'll use the f slur or something like that you know right um in conversation and stuff like that um when we were like in middle school or whatever like that's like the more day-to-day stuff mm. but even like I think that's like hyper intensified if you're in like a conservative household or family or surrounding because there's literally like you'll talk to like a religious figure or someone that you trust some authority person and then they'll basically be be like in the church there's like this narrative of like we love everyone but we don't love their sin oh right you know i've heard that like love the sin no sorry love the sinner but hate the sin exactly but it's like a part of your identity that is so enmeshed with you right like you can't divorce yourself from your sexual attraction at right. least i i couldn't you know yeah as much as i prayed the gay way you know <laughs> but um i couldn't divorce myself from that and that's just something that you learn to like suppress and not talk about and it, it there comes a point because like there's also like nuance in in this discussion of like sexuality because mm. Um, it exists in a spectrum, right? Right. So does. I was very well aware of the fact that, like, I didn't ever see myself getting married to a woman because I didn't have an attraction towards women. Yeah. But some people um, who might be, like, in a different position in the spectrum or, like, be more um, fluid in that sense, mm. they'll grapple with these feelings and still be able to, I guess, like, create, like, the ideal family right for the church i i definitely have heard that from bisexual people that had a lot of conflict that they try to lean to women as much as they can even if they i guess are more attracted to men they'll try to date women because it's just logistically well in many many ways it's a lot easier so that does make sense to me did you feel like at some point in your childhood you came to terms with it no i think um interestingly enough like I didn't personally, like, come out to, like, my friends and my family until, like, early in college. And for, like, the longest time, it was just something that, like, I knew um, that I experienced or that I felt or, like, this was a part of my identity. But I didn't know if I was ever going to, like, disclose that to other people or if I was ever going to actually, like, live a life that I wanted to live, if that makes sense. Wow, okay. So did you come out to your parents at some point? Yeah, so um, I came out to my parents like my freshman year of college. That's pretty late, huh? It's pretty late. But yeah. um, there's definitely people who... Um, are still... Are still... Like, yeah. everyone has like a different timeline. I think that like, it definitely depends on like the family dynamic and stuff like that. Right. I think there's a lot of compounding, uh, fa- confounding factors. I came from like a Christian or like a... I came from a Catholic household... I also came from like an Asian American household, right? And there's a lot of fear um, of social backlash, especially from 
aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, stuff like that. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Asian culture is very much against being gay. I think so too. Yeah, it's quite, it's very universal actually. You know, as an Asian Australian, which I guess has similar Asian culture, I would say it comes from a place of ignorance rather than prejudice, mm-hmm. but it is ignorant nonetheless. For example, I've kind of played that thought experiment with my own parents yeah. and said, oh, how would you feel if I was gay? And they would just straight up say like, we would disown you. Yeah. And so I think that that's pretty common in it these is, circles. It is very common, but I think a complexity of it is that I've talked to like um, a lot of Asian queer folk a lot of times the issue isn't necessarily the like a relationship with it isn't a direct relationship between the parents and how they feel about homosexuality more so it's a relationship of how they view homosexuality and how that'll affect their image as a family or the way they'll view the parent or the way they'll view the family unit because i feel like in asian households there's like a, a focus on collectivism right and so it's more about like a perception thing as opposed to like a disagreement with homosexuality in its own right you know so i know that a lot of parents will actually be pretty like accepting about it because they love their uh love their kids especially like asian i'm I'm speaking on in like the asian american experience Mm. they'll be pretty accepting about it but the issue will be that they won't want their families to know like their right. extended families. You were saying aunts and uncles. Aunts and uncles, grandmas, grandpas, stuff like that. I see. So I, I think I remember you talking about this in the past, but I, I've, I recall that your parents were pretty supportive, but they don't like to talk about it as much openly. I think um, my parents, it was definitely a huge shift because it's kind of like when someone comes out as gay, it's like the death of a perception of a specific future, right? Oh, I see. Yes. It's like if you come out as gay, this is not an just an Asian American thing. I think this is something that exists at large. It's like the whole like family unit thing, like wife, husband, grandkids, grandkids. Mm. It comes. It's like it's completely like thrown out of left. Right, it is, huh? Left field or whatever, or like it's completely discarded because now your family will look completely different. So it's um, so it's very understandable in my opinion that parents will go through some type of grieving process because it's like the gr- death of a potential future that they saw mm. in their kids. Um, and it's also like my parents specifically, they weren't concerned about, they like they were really supportive of me. But the issue is that they were concerned about the social backlash. How would individuals react to it? You know, how would people treat me differently if I would be like talked shit about or like hate crime or whatever, you know? And I think that it's difficult because they came from a different time from us. Right. Yes. I, I think being gay, like, um, you're Vietnamese, right? So, yeah, I'm Vietnamese. Yeah. If you go back a generation and being gay in Asia or even being gay in Asia right now is extremely punishing. It is. So I can, I can kind of imagine that they would be very worried. But I mean, even though in the Western world, it's, it is punishing still. It is still punishing. Yeah. But it, we're fortunate to live in a very liberal, like, accepting place, inclusive place in California mm. um, and New York. But I've heard, like, my friends tell me that, like, in some of their countries, like their home countries, like it's still like heavily like persecuted and stuff like that. Oh yes. Com- it's a complex conversation to have with your parents though, right. because I think oftentimes the parents are still operating off of the like assumptions of the world that they 
grew up in. Oh, right. And how, how punishing it will be f- for you, even though it, it won't be as much exactly. living in the Western world. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I won't call it a privilege because it's still not a privilege, but living in California, Southern California, in a very liberal state, I think helps a lot with these things. It definitely does. Yeah, there's great parts of the culture in, I guess, not glorifying, but um, accepting these communities. I, I read this very depressing stat where people, LGBTQ plus people that were highly rejected versus, I, I would say no LGBTQ plus person has not felt a bit rejected, regardless of if we're talking about like societally or family-based. But um, people that were highly rejected were eight times as likely to have attempted suicide, six times as likely to report high levels of depression, three times more likely to use illegal drugs, and three times more likely to be at high risk for STDs and HIV. Can you kind of empathize with this as a kid? Because you said as a seven-year-old you were crying yourself to sleep. Yeah, I, I think that takes a, it takes a huge toll on you because when an individual is not accepted by society for something that they can't change it's it leads like an individual to either or it leads an individual to repress a lot of parts of themselves right right um and i feel like that repression is intertwined with this sense of self-resentment and shame um and the issue with this is that there's not a lot of outlets for that resentment and that shame to be able to go, you know, mm. because you're repressing yourself already, you know, like who are you going to talk to about, talk about this with? If you feel like society won't accept you for a part of yourself that feels inescapable. Right. Well, okay. What does this repression really look like? Is it you're trying to force yourself to be attracted to women and date girls and have interactions with women and try to like avoid attractions to men is that i think it depends on the person in all honesty i can't i can't speak on everyone's behalf i think that well right off the bat for the most part like repression is like is like repressing these feelings that you have like you you wouldn't be able to act on it that's like a very common form of repression that a lot of people could probably empathize with but i think that in general like you you talk to like your friends or whatever right yeah and then and so like in order to come off as like not gay, you have to appear like straight passing, right? Oh, I see. So you you pretend to be... Oftentimes, I think a lot of gay people can empathize with that. It's like when someone asks you like, oh, who's your celebrity crush, you know? Oh, okay. And then like when you're like little and you're saying shit like Ariana Grande, like Ariana Grande is like a red flag for, in my opinion, of like how you can tell like someone is gay if they said that's their celebrity crush because like I know a lot of my gay friends who said that, who used to say Ariana Grande. Because like we don't... um, when we were younger, I, I feel like we wouldn't operate off of like the the same like... I, I kind of see what you're saying because as a straight man, I would definitely not say Ariana Grande. Exactly. But I, that's just a joke that me and my friends make. She is very attractive. She's though, a very attractive... But I guess there's something different in the way that we're wired. Exactly. To not see Ariana Grande as like someone that you would want to... But the point is yeah. that like in general, you would have to kind of assimilate and kind of think as like a straight man would, right? I see. Um, and try to figure out like, this is the right thing to say in these situations. But it's also a very taxing thing, you know, to uh, put on like a demeanor, to lie, to think about these. You're living an entire lie. You are living yeah. an entire lie. And then it's, it depends on the person. A lot of individuals will pursue fake relationships. 
Oh, I see. But that's like such a shitty thing to have to experience, you know? Yes, yes. Both for the person putting on the fake guys and the person who's maybe catching feelings for someone who might not be authentically, physically attracted to them. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, this like really brings me back to thinking about high school or just my school times yeah. in which I've just assumed that everyone was straight. And then I would just, I think people would would have discussions about girls and then, you know, you would rate girls or you would ask like, oh, which girl do you like? Exactly. But you never think, oh, how can I make this question completely inclusive? Well, that must, that w- would be very hard to, to deal with. But, it, um, and it's like one of those things where it's like, it doesn't seem that big, but it's one of those things where it's like, we live in a very heteronormative world, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you present yourself as straight passing, most of the time people are going to assume you're straight, right? Yeah. Um, and so people are going to ask you questions and like when you talk about yourself and when you socialize, they're going to like default into thinking that, um, or default into like socializing with you as you, you are a straight person, right? Right. And I think it's a very taxing thing when an individual doesn't feel like they have the space to communicate that they aren't that way because then they have to like develop this entire completely demeanor like personality in a sense or like second version of themselves um that's attracted to maybe women and then like they have to come up with like lies based off of what like they might think that um this person's pretty or whatever but now you have to like rate people and think of things from the perspective of like a straight male i think it's a very interesting do you think you have that switch where you turn into like straight rye <laughs> i think honestly like when i talk to like a straight male or a straight presenting male yeah my demeanor is really different or in the way i talk and the w- things i talk about i'm curious what, what can you name what those things are is it hyper masculine i think it it has to have you heard of code switching code switching yeah i haven't well, I don't want to misrepresent it, but to my knowledge, code switching is this idea that like in different contexts, we kind of default to different versions of ourselves to better assimilate to the environment or to to like come off as more socially acceptable, right? I see. And so if I'm talking with my gay friends or if I'm talking with my friends that are girls, it'll be different than when I'm talking to like my straight presenting friends because I'll be like more emotionally open with these individuals because I feel like it's more socially acceptable and I think that's not even a thing that's confined to this context of like homosexuality versus heterosexuality I think it has to do with like this whole idea of like adhering to masculine Mm. like social standards yeah and what's expected of you and how you communicate and how you interact with people right yeah masculinity is definitely a difficult topic I definitely can empathize with I guess trying to be masculine is is quite difficult because I would say I'm a pretty sentimental person. Yeah. And in the past, I've definitely been punished for opening up. For example, showing tears or just being vulnerable with male friends, I think is actually still very punishing in, in modern day society. Where it's like, oh, that turned like man up or don't cry. Your dad probably would say something like that to you. Yeah, we're yeah. T- I feel like we're taught at a very early age that um, socializing or like opening up in a certain type of way is really bad you know Mm. do you think that you struggle with the idea of masculinity as a gay man i think so definitely i think that this is a really interesting topic because i feel like masculinity and like homosexuality or um an attraction to men in general like if you're attracted to men it puts individuals like 
it may cause individuals to question your masculinity. And and it's a very difficult thing though too because like you'd want to adhere to like masculine standards and appear like strong or or capable or like whatever like associations you have with Right. But um as like a homosexual individual or an individual who's queer in general, I think that um individuals by default will question your masculinity. Yes, I think so. I think the term or the the saying, oh that's gay yeah. is synonymous with that's not masculine. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and I, I think a big part of masculinity is the ability to attract or be with women. It's almost social status to be able to attract women. If you think about like male hierarchies in, in the social world, it's often those that are able to attract women gain the most respect. I, I completely agree. Yeah. In the end of like an action movie, right? You always see like the the man like securing the woman or whatever, and like that's like the the cherry on top to like him being like the super cool <laughs> man, right? Right, exactly. I okay, so I think talking about the broader view of things, and you said society is heteronormative, which yeah. is very true. And then you just mentioned a movie. I've realized definitely that there is very little representation for homosexuals or like gay romance and gay dating mm-hmm. in general. Um, there was that movie Bros. That I, that came out recently, but I recall that you didn't watch it, no, which is okay. It. But uh, given that there is so little representation for gay dating and gay relationships, did you find it hard to start dating in that way? Because as a heterosexual person, heterosexual male or a straight person, you rely on TV or movies to understand how romance is supposed to play out. Because mm-hmm. you understand like, oh, you know, you give the girl the rose and then you go for a kiss or something. But because there isn't that, did you find it hard to start pursuing men or getting pursued by men? That's a really interesting question. I think online dating makes things a lot easier now, you know, in that like it takes away like a lot of like variables from it. And it's just like, however it plays out, there's such a high quantity of people. I think online dating was really helpful. Is really is a thing that a lot of queer folk turn to because it's a space where they know that another individual is sexually attracted to the to to them more likely um, and they don't have to operate off of as many heteronormative assumptions so i think that that helps a lot but i think definitely like i talk to a lot of straight men about gay dating and it always perplexes them you know we have conversations about gay dating all the time mm-hmm. and i f- remember i would talk about my gay dating experiences you would talk about your straight dating experiences like it's very different. I feel like for gay dating, for straight dating, there's kind of like you said, a formula for it, you know? Mm. Like the male is a pursuer, the female is like the chooser or whatever. Right. The pursuee. Like you give the female the rose, the female is either wooed by by him or friends on him, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I feel like for gay dating, it's very different because it's like, these are two individuals that in media are portrayed as like masculine pursuers and stuff like that. And so there's like power, different power dynamics you have to grapple around. There's different, like this whole idea of like masculinity and femininity, submissiveness and um, dominance. All Mm. that stuff is very different when you're not given like a rule book of how it should look like. Yeah. But I think that strangely enough, a lot of these heteronormative notions do seep in seep into homosexual like 
Oh, because one person inevitably kind of becomes the pursuer. And one person is like the chooser or the pursuant, yeah. Oh, okay. So it does arise. The roles do end up getting played. Oftentimes they do. I think that the, um, it's more flexible. Yeah. I think that um, my perspective is these gender roles that you see are very much socially constructed in their own right. Mm. And so when you enter a space where these expectations aren't as strict, there's like more room for nuance, right? Right. Where like um, it can go back and forth, you know, um, in terms of like who's planning the dates and stuff like that. It can go more back and forth about like who's like pursuing and who's being pursued. Like you'll see that in some relationships, it's more flexible in that regard. Mm. But oftentimes, because there's so much like we live in such a heteronormative assuming society in my opinion mm. a lot of these things that you see in media end up seeping into gay dating i see i've always thought that looking at queer dating or gay dating specifically really brings to light the bi- biological differences between men and women yeah because as you said there is more room for nuance yeah so when you put two men to date when you have two men date there is less societal expectation that one of the men, one of the males is meant to do something. So then they kind of adhere to the biology a bit more. And so that's why I think you can really see the differences is that gay men are a lot more promiscuous on average mm-hmm. than straight men. And also from what I understand about lesbian women, they are m- much more monogamous than straight men as well. So when we look at that, I think we really see like, oh, there is always societal pressure for certain dynamics to be played out. Mm -hmm. But I think it always came from somewhere due to biology, to be honest. The fact that we have testosterone and they have a lot more estrogen. I I recall someone called testosterone the fuck and kill hormone, which I I think is is pretty true, right? Because from your experience, the gay dating world, not your personal experience, but the gay dating world is a lot more promiscuous. They have on average quite a lot more partners um than straight men no exactly like i feel like i mean talk to anyone and one of the first things that you'll think about in gay dating is like promiscuity like people having like sex with a lot of different partners right i think that it's definitely an interesting topic i do think that a lot of it's like biologically driven this is my perspective a lot of it's biologically driven but it's also socially driven as well you know in the biological sense like like you said about testosterone but that's not to say that like women don't have like sexuality or right. like or have sexual desires as well but i think like in biology because of like the way we're predisposed it makes it so that way men tend to be the pursuers and women tend to be the individuals being pursued right but i i, I had this conversation with like my straight friends and uh, my my brother a lot how like he puts it as like two people when you put two pursuers together of course it's gonna be like more sex and shit like that oh okay or more sex more like promiscuity more like one night stands things like that Mm. because these individuals like if it all it takes is like one initiator right but if both of these individuals are like initiating or if like if, yeah. if both of these individuals are initiated there's a lot more offense going around there's a lot more, that's and a good way to put it a lot more <laughs> offense yeah <laughs> yeah that's a really good way of putting it yeah uh, yeah I, I looked at the numbers and it, it's pretty interesting that um apparently gay men have an average of 30 sexual partners and 10 percent of gay men have more than 100 partners i'm not surprised at all that is pretty insane have you um ever seen like the ui of like hookup apps like grinder no i haven't i haven't 
you should you should after this podcast you should check it out and people should check it out as well it's like i would describe it as like the craigslist of dating apps oh okay it's like at individuals where like I've, there's these tiles and stuff like that of individuals with a picture and stuff like that and you just you know how in a dating app you can focus on one profile at a time right imagine like some forum where you scroll and there's like people back to back oh i've heard you can dm anybody you can dm anyone and it's like imagine like perusing for like a shirt it's a very like commodified gay dating app in my opinion oh interesting and but it's very common it's a very popular one it's a very popular one but i think it's just a testament to like these user experiences that these software engineers are creating right yeah it's catering to like a more seeking mindset as opposed to like the more conventional dating apps not conventional the dating apps that are, aren't as hookup intensive where you focus at one profile at a time and you swipe or you uh, heart them or whatever you know right but you should check it's like you don't even have to match to to slide you don't have to match yeah. and you can, can you send photos straight away um can you shock on your news or <laughs> i don't know on the top of my head personally yeah i don't know honestly like i, I don't really use grinder yeah i would describe it as like grinder is to tinder as sex dungeons are to clubs does that make sense Oh, it's like the but sex dungeons are so far removed from clubs, in my opinion. Or like, okay, yeah, grinder is to Tinder as like a circuit party is to a club. Do you know what a circuit party is? I don't. It's like these like gay like, it's like a gay like I I, I don't want to misrepresent it, but circuit parties are like parties where gay people like come together and they're dressed in like very like sexually revealing revealing clothing. Um, and it ends up that like a lot of individuals um, tend to meet people or like hook up with people there. The the thing about Grinder that's really interesting is that like if you go on it like you'll see it's like dick pics galore, you know. Like uh-huh. you'll people will be exchanging dick pics on the app or whatever. People will be when you cultivate yourself on Grinder like most of the pictures are like no faces or like empty profiles oh. with empty avatars, and then you'd reach out to someone and then like ask exchange face pictures and then maybe nudes or something like that too right. depending on the person okay so, so the most people listening right now i think they might think wow this sounds so impersonal and so creepy but it's actually extremely effective it's, to find someone to have sex with in I mean, dating. it's the reason why it's the number one gay hookup app you know because it's so effective in, in what it accomplishes you know as in, we could pull it up right now and create an account and we could find someone. We, I, we could create you a profile and I could get you a hookup by the end of the night. Wow. Multiple hookups. Like Multiple? Lots of hookups, to be honest. Could we get everyone together? Do you think? That's harder. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just see how, uh, how down we are. Um, I think so. I think like it depends on how attractive you are. Okay. But I think it'd be very doable like to set up like a threesome if, if that's what you're... I see. Yeah. Um, in, in the movie Bros, they actually there was a lot of group sex scenes. Yeah. Well, not a lot, but there were a few group sex scenes. And it seems a lot more common. Because to set up a foursome... Okay, I guess threesomes have become more popular. Yeah. <laughs> but to have four people, that seems quite hard. But it seemed somewhat... I think similar. it's pretty doable. I yeah. think, like, you're an attractive dude. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we can make you a profile. And I, I, I can't give you, like, a guarantee or whatever. But I'm sure that, like, within a couple of days we could get you a threesome if you really wanted to. Wow. Maybe even by the end of the day today. Wow. <laughs> Depends on how down people are. <laughs> but yeah, it's, well, it's a completely different like 
dating scene in all honesty that is really fantastic okay but on the topic of sex and promiscuity i was actually looking at the correlation of sex number of sexual partners and happiness and apparently the people that are most happiest have one sexual one new sexual partner a year i think being promiscuous and having a lot of sex does affect your ability to form emotional relationships better i think you're a lot if you're looking for love or romance you're a lot better off not jumping straight to sex Mm -hmm. do you think that's true in gay dating as well or does that affect the gay dating scene that everyone is trying to have sex i think like if you're asking about it like philosophically i guess (laughs) i think like my perspective is that yeah like you hook up with a lot of people um you date a lot of people and then you may might enter this mindset where individuals are replaceable or more easily disposable that's not to say that um hooking up frequently is like a good or bad thing it's just that like in my opinion a lot of individuals like will know that sex physical intimacy is so readily accessible and easy that like if something doesn't work out it's on to the next person you know i think um something that i've seen i'd be interested in asking you like like as like a comparison or like a test case or whatever is that the pipeline of like an individual coming out of like a long-term relationship and then entering the dating scene immediately in gay dating is like incredibly fast so i'll know like a lot of gay people who will like break up with their significant other and then immediately download the apps like the, the day of or the next day oh jump straight back in jump, jump straight back in and then like it's so easy to talk to someone pretty quickly or like hook up with someone pretty quickly in my opinion can eventually lead to like unhealthy coping mechanisms because it's like something bad happens and so there's a lot of like positive feelings and of knowing that someone wants you right right and you can get that affirmation immediately yes as you said we could have a a threesome maybe by the end of the day probably to be honest (laughs) (laughs) that's insane yeah i i can see how that that affects it i mean from what i understand infidelity is also a lot more common in the gay dating scene probably because of the abundance of people willing to have sex apparently um 58 percent of people say that their partner has been unfaithful in a relationship and 51 percent say they've cheated on someone Mm -hmm. um in the gay dating scene and you said that in your experience uh seeing like relationships around you it's kind of more acceptable as well cheating i think in straight dating is often a deal breaker yeah like a complete red flag but it's more acceptable i think this is like anecdotal but i think that from what i've seen i've seen a lot of relationships like still continue post cheating i think that like there are a lot of relationships that end but i'd be interested in like like sitting down and like comparing like if gay relationships recover tend to like forgive cheating more highly than than straight relationships i i like like you said like i do think infidelity is a huge problem in i mean depending on like whatever moral um background you come from if if we say infidelity is like something that or that's not socially acceptable it's like a socially unacceptable thing that happens a lot more commonly in gay relationships in my opinion than yeah i think regardless of attitudes and mindsets or religious beliefs infidelity is mostly is is completely wrong because you are lying to the other person exactly if you want to build like a long-term sustainable relationship you're operating off the assumption that you can trust one another 
and that what you say is valid. I recall you saying before that people actually fall in love a lot easier in gay dating. But judging from, I guess, the topic of infidelity and promiscuity, it seems like it would be harder to fall in love, to find meaningful relationships. Because I think the more you sex is involved, the harder it is to, to find love. See, that's I think that kind of circles back to our previous conversation about pursuers and the person being pursued. Yep. Would you agree that in most heteronormative relationships, the male or the guy is the person who initiates a relationship or like kind of cuffs the, the girl? Oh. Or do you think it's the other way around? Ah, I think that's hard. In modern society, I think it's it's very hard to tell, to be honest. I think exclusivity is a very gray line or very mm-hmm. blurred line in who's who initiates it. Huh. That's a great question. That's a great question. Yeah, I honestly think it's pretty 50-50. Okay, so sometimes the girl cuffs the guy or... Yeah, I think sometimes the girl will bring it up, yeah. That's interesting, because for me, like, I I came off the assumption that most of the time the guy, like, would, like, say, like, oh, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now, and then the girl would say yes or no. Um, Is that not... Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, I I think it's just because of modern dating... And honestly, I think this modern dating scene has arisen very recently. I'm, I want to say, like, in the last 10 years or so, where there's this... Have you heard of this weird dynamic of you're exclusive, but you're not in a relationship? Like a situationship? Yeah. Oh, is that a situationship? That's what, how I consider a situationship. Ah, like, okay. if I'm exclusive with someone, but we're not, like, officially, like, dating. Oh, I see. I see. But yeah. different people have different... Yeah, I, I think in modern society, I guess maybe you can um, make a comment on this, is that dating in general is just a lot more complex in terms of the number of lines that are drawn. Because I I talked about this with, with Josh in our episode about, I guess, modern love, but more in a straight male perspective or a heterosexual perspective. And we talked about the different terms for love now or romance where it's talking and then seeing dating and in in a relationship yeah so i assume this translates to the gay dating world as well where you're in like multiple stages of varying feelings exactly definitely what i will say like going back to your other question gay relationships tend to move a lot faster (laughs) it's it's kind of it's kind of jarring if you're comparing it to like the timelines that you see in straight relationships because to my understanding like Oftentimes you'll be dating this person for a couple months before you become official, right? Yep. Like several months. It's not uncommon to date someone for like a week or two weeks and then... Wait, being in a relationship for a week or two? No, like talking to someone for like a couple weeks. Oh, and then getting into a relationship. And then getting into a relationship. I'm not like... It's like a stereotype within the gay community that like you talk and then you, you both really like each other and then y'all cuff like you cuff each other like immediately um but i but why is that is it because of the understanding that sex is more abundant so you want to my perspective is that it's the pursuer pursuer dynamic Mm. that's not to say that a lot of gay relationships don't follow the kind of like pursue we pursuant binary (laughs) oh right the pursuer pursuee binary that you see in heteronormative relationships oh yeah but in gay relationships i think that it typically um involves individuals with like both like more comparable sex drives i'd be curious though do you think 
do you come off the assumption that guys have a higher sex drive than girls? Honestly, I think on average we do. And I think on the top end, I think guys can just be much more horny than, than women. I mean, I think I've heard of, you know, this is why pornography addiction is such a big thing yeah. amongst men. And why you've heard of men, why, you know, there was this person in Brazil who, this man in Brazil who died after masturbating like 40 times in a row. Holy shit. It's actually pretty common to hear of men masturbating like two to three times a day. And I think that probably comes from testosterone. I'm, yeah. I always have these conversations with my friends because I'm curious. I, I, my suspicion in that is, is that it's both biological and social. Mm. I'm the, like another aspect of it that I always wonder is that like for women, I feel like it's not as socially acceptable to pursue or explore your sexuality in that way. 100%. 100%. So I'm, I'm curious if like, kind of like how we were talking about like repression in the gay experience, like there's probably some like type of suppression of sexuality when it comes to like the female experience as well. Oh, I, I think that that is very much true. Yeah. And also I think there's, there's just a lot more factors to take into account. The fact that you, if the condom breaks or something and you get pregnant, that's that's going to be on you. Exactly. And then there's also a safety element where you don't really want to just rock up to anybody's house, any guy's house, when in most situations, they're going to be able to overpower you. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I think the backlash, the societal backlashes, there's nothing impressive about a girl who has had sex with like 100 men. In fact, that would probably, that would look bad on you to most men. But a man that has had sex with like 100 people people always look up to them, that person. You know, that's actually like really interesting though that <clears throat> that you bring that up though, because in, in gay dating, a lot of those like heteronormative standards of like lauding these men for how many people they can have sex with and shaming women uh, for how many people that they have sex with, it translates into gay dating as well. Okay. So like, it depends on like the, the way like an individual might like present themselves, right? Of course, it's a little bit more nuanced, but you'll hear individuals calling each other like a whore or something like that or a slut if they have sex with too many people or something like that. Uh-huh. But, uh, but also like if they have sex with a lot of people, they're like, oh, like, damn, like you're like you pull or whatever. Or, like, Oh, so it's both. It's both. You have both the... Uh, both of these sentiments, yeah. The luck and key. Exactly. I guess, yeah. And I think that in all honesty, it has a lot to do with like the sexual positions that an individual might pursue. Oh, okay. So like speaking of like tops and bottoms for like individuals who don't know, a top is like the insertive partner yep. in sex and a bottom is the receptive partner, right? Right. If you like know that this individual is a top or presents himself in like a, I guess like a more masculine way, it's more likely that you're going to applaud him for... Uh-huh. So it's truly lock and key. It's yeah. not just a like pussy or pussy weed. So, well, I guess maybe our tops often p- more more often the pursuer. I'd say so, but I think it's more nuanced. I guess like it, it's like it's kind of like that lock and key binary. Yeah. But it's also like the personal like positionalities that an individual takes into gay dating in terms of like if you think having sex with a lot of people is a good thing then like you'll probably applaud other gay people for that but if you think having s- sex with a lot of people isn't like a good thing yeah then you'll probably like condemn people for it so it's like a really nuanced thing because, oh i see because it's not just how um an individual acts right or presents themselves but it's also like the 
assumptions that you take into gay dating mm. and like the the narratives and the preconceived notions that you have about people i see from i guess all of this discussion and i think what i'm really summarizing is that gay dating is just a lot more nuanced in general in every facet yeah of dating whether it's sex the relationship dynamics and even types right exactly because when i think of straight dating and i think of let me try to like imagine the epitome of a straight man like the most attractive straight man it's pretty stereotypically like six foot plus like six one out or six two is like the perfect height and then like built and or like muscular to a reasonable degree and very masculine in the way they speak like charismatic deep voice and just like leading other men i think that is like the epitome of a straight man in a physical sense but in gay dating i was reading um on this blog and there are like 20 different types i mean i saw some of some of them i jotted them bears cubs chubs drag queens gym bunnies hoxton queers jocks muscle bears have you heard of some of these terms twinks i think i've heard of personally uh wolves boys spunk monkeys <laughs> have you heard of these terms and this is these are real types in gay dating yeah i've heard of a lot of them i think a lot of them are a little more granular <laughs> specifically like, there's definitely a space where like they're not as common but a lot of them like twinks bears um jock stuff like that that's like things that you hear a lot in day-to-day gay dating i'm also curious because you know like the man that you described previously that like is like the conventionally attractive man right i'm curious if like that comes from the male gaze oh in the sense where like in an individual's like perceived notion of what an attractive male would look like from like what a male thinks is attractive but i think that like for the most part i I do agree though like those are characteristics that in our media and just in day-to-day life are like heavily preferred i see yes i i'm not too sure if it's the male gaze but i think most people would agree with it in in a western eurocentric perspective i completely agree what you described in like a heteronormative sense like these like more defined caricatures Mm. of 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 course it's still nuanced you know but there's more defined caricatures and like buckets of like what people will typically find more attractive right yeah but in gay dating, like we were discussing before, it's like more nuanced. Some people are more attracted to like to what you said, like the masculine presenting caricature or whatever. But like a twink is like someone who's like skinny and like pretty um, and maybe like a little smaller. Right. What like the 6'2", like really buff dude, right? Yeah. Um, like a bear is like someone who's like... Hairy. Hairy. <laughs> and, and big. Yeah. And big, yeah. Ah, I see. Um, and you can have preferences of one or the other. You definitely could. Right. But I think in straight dating, whilst a girl might be swayed by, I guess, a more cub or bear looking dude, I think the epitome of physical attractiveness is still that one type. Whereas I think in gay dating, you you might even prefer like a bear over some jacked gym dude. I think that there's definitely more variation of what people are attracted to in gay dating. But I do think that fundamentally, like, the things that we value in heteronormative relationships seep into gay dating. So masculinity is a really important quality that a lot of individuals tend to value in in gay dating. So there's a lot of advantages in for being gay, uh, both socially and dating, in your ability to present as a straight passing dude. 
Oh. So like, if you talk, um, and you come off, an individual is able to point out that you're gay from the way you talk, or if you move a certain way or walk a certain type of way, that's not quote like masculine. These qualities are oftentimes selected against in gay dating. That's not like a blanket statement, but it's just that like in general, a lot of people tend to prefer these qualities. You'll see in like a lot of these gay dating apps, this term that people throw around a lot on Tinder, Hinge, especially Grinder, like mask for mask. It's basically uh, a masculine presenting man seeking another masculine presenting man. I see. Oh, and the other side is femme, right? Yeah, so like femme or mask, yeah. Oh, I see. And femme people do not get as much attention? I'd say on average, yeah. Mm. Um, because of like the... If we're like saying like Eurocentric beauty standards or whatever, uh, by heteronormative beauty standards, these individuals tend to not be as valued. So it, it seeps into data. Well, that does make sense because that the Western beauty standard does not necessarily mean this is the epitome of straight men in a movie. It's not as explicit. Exactly. It is more so this is the epitome of men. So it makes sense that it would seep into, I guess, all forms of dating. Exactly, because we're fundamentally like the me- media that we're consuming is the same media that everyone else is consuming and it tends to be heteronormative so if you're um, internalizing these ideas of this is what the ideal man should look like right we are too oh that's interesting that we reach consensus on this um speaking of eurocentric beauty standards we definitely should go into race a bit because we are both asians that were born in the west and i want to start off with this quote from looking at a bunch of research into i guess both straight dating and gay dating and that is minority men are discriminated against to a greater degree than minority women in both same sex and different sex dating markets. So if you look at lesbian dating apps, they don't discriminate as much based on race. But in both gay dating and straight dating, minority men, for example, and when I say minority men, I think it mostly pertains to Asian men and black men as opposed to well, I, I think Hispanic men do reasonably okay, but white men are still regarded as the pinnacle. And I think this surfaces on dating apps, right? People say they, like, no Asians or something. Definitely. In more of the hookup apps, where, it's like, individuals can opt for anonymity, you'll see some profiles that say, like, no Asians or no Blacks. Basically, like, a preference against certain like minority races you know and that's like something that it's just that this these platforms give individuals like the ability to vocalize like these very blatantly racist claim proclamations or preferences and stuff like that um but they're anonymous so there's no accountability in terms of like this is if you said that on tinder or whatever like someone would like oh that would be outrageous yeah tinder or hinge like even in gay dating you know but in like platforms like um like grinder it's really different Wow. I think uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, I did say it's racist, but I think it's hard to tell the difference between personal preference and racial exclusion. But, you know, again, this is coming back to the programming of living in the Eurocentric society that white men or white, whiteness, I think is like white is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought there was this interesting point that was brought up that it's very strange or almost ironic that gay men do marginalize minorities 
even though as a group, gay men are marginalized. It's like the marginalized, marginalizing. Because you understand how it feels to be an outcast or looked down upon and to be excluded from society. And then even in this circle, then you further exclude. So I think it's almost a double whammy to be a minority and also LGBTQ. I think that when it comes to marginalization, despite the fact that individuals understand what it's like to be marginalized, there's still a lot of individuals will feel still feel like they need to be dominant over some other group or race or identity, right? Like take like the Asian American household, right? We know that in a lot of Asian American households, there's a lot of racism towards black folk, right? Right. I feel like it's one of those really unfortunate, shitty things that you see in any marginalized group, you know? Mm. That like, it doesn't matter that you can empathize with it. Individuals just want to feel like they have like some type of power, supremacy, dominance over some other group, even if they're affected by that same Mm. type of um, prejudice, but from some other group. Yeah, that's, I guess, a bigger comment on human nature. Yeah. And that is very unfortunately true because during that that period of Asian hate and the rise of hate crimes due to COVID, a lot of the crimes were committed by other minorities, like black people inflicting violence on Asians. Um, I did want to break this down for you in the straight dating sense, and you can tell me how it kind of looks like in gay dating. But uh, according to this OKCupid study in 2014, so a little bit outdated, that they essentially assigned a hierarchy of desiredness amongst in straight dating so they do male and female and then black hispanic asian and white the people that were most desired and this is quite interesting for those listeners is that asian women were actually the most desired and then it goes white men and white women and then hispanic men hispanic women and then at the bottom it goes black men asian men and then black women and black women suffered the most bias by far. Um, and the numbers are roughly Asian women have a 7.5% plus 7.5% average bias. So they're 7.5% more likely to be swiped on. And white men have an average of 10.75% plus, And black women have a negative 13.5% yeah. average bias. Unfortunately, there is a lot of racial exclusion in straight dating but is that roughly how it looks like in gay dating because okay white people are really always at the top it's not just that they are the most desired they're also the most exclusive in that they swipe the least on minorities so they get swiped on the most and they also swipe on minorities the least but is that how it roughly looks like in gay dating i'd say so i'd say it's very similar white folk are definitely viewed as like the most preferred and and then like black and asian um individuals probably like on like the worst right i, I think like circling back to like a previous conversation that we had we we were talking about it from the perspective of like guys right mm. or like racial preferences against guys or whatever but it's so like there's racial preferences around girls too like you said like black women are the individuals who are the most heavily affected by these racial preferences so I don't even think it's a consequence of like 
how we view our men or whatever. Right. It's like just a consequence of how we view each of these like races it in specific like genders or whatever. Yes, I think that's very important. The fact that it's not just the race, it's the gender with the race. With the race, exactly. Because if you look at representation, I think it's very important because if you look at how Asian women are represented, for example, like the James Bond, Miss Saigon-esque girl, she's it's fetishization, the white man and the Asian woman, right? The Asian girl. But Asian men are com- comedic relief where we have like the Ken Jeongs. And so actually, you know Ken Jeong, right? He was, uh, he plays Chang in Community and he's the Korean guy in The Hangover. Have you heard of him? I've probably seen him, but I, I can't picture him. Okay. Yeah. So that actually is a bit conflicting to me because I think, you know, power to the people for trying to rise up and you know arguably it's representation nonetheless asian men in hollywood but to play comedic relief or play like this emasculine weak man also i think is punishing for the rest of us but uh furthermore i think if we look at black men and black women black women i think stereotypically in movies and tv they are you know like the laquanda stereotype where they're very feisty and they're almost masculine. And I think the more you deviate from the conventional ideas of masculinity and femininity, the less attractive you are. Exactly. Do you think that's true? I completely agree with that. Yeah. Like that's a that's a really good point you make. Like these like stereotypes or caricatures that these races in the context of gender are portrayed as like the black woman in these TV shows are um, portrayed as very masculine figures, right? Mm. And that deviates from femininity which is a standard that our society wants in, in women, right? Right. But on the inverse of that, Asian men are oftentimes made to f- appear feminine or emasculated or um, even like deprived of like the portrayal of sexuality mm. or like they're, they're like these asexual individuals, like the nerd or the comic relief or like these side characters, right? when you're deviating away away from like conventional standards of masculinity for men and femininity for women it typically within gay dating and straight dating it makes it so that way a lot of individuals view these people as less preferential yes yes i i think for the average case that is very much the the case yeah as a man in the dating world i mean i guess even in the gay dating world so in dating in general you want to be as masculine as possible i think it always is rewarding to be even to be okay i don't want to say toxically masculine but to bring masculinity to a hundred right not showing emotions being pretty indifferent to things leading even blindly i think it's always (laughs) girls will definitely prefer it if you're able to make quick decisions even if they're not the right decisions Mm -hmm. you know you've always heard of that red flag where it's like oh he didn't know where to take me he didn't know where to go and that's a huge, that's a deal breaker almost for girls in the dating world. I think um, what's interesting about the gay dating world is that even though we are, we we do like suffer from a lot of these expectations and standards, there's a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. in the ways an individual can present themselves and the way an individual can express themselves, you know, mm-hmm. just because of like the nuance of like, of the fact that like gay dating is like not con- constrained to like a man and a woman, right? Right. So if an individual, I'd say that in gay dating, like 
like you said, like there's preferences like towards like twinks or bears or or jocks and stuff like that, right? You can like embody different forms of beauty in gay dating and you'll find like a space for that more so than um, straight dating. That's not to say that straight dating isn't making strides in it. You know, like you see like these like Timothy Chalamet or whatever. Uh. These types of individuals who are like not like the conventional like hyper-masculine um, buff six feet to really like big dudes right right there's like there's invitation to like present yourself in different ways i think just think that in within the gay community it's a little bit more advanced in that in that regard mm. if we're talking about like different forms of beauty and what different individuals might like like it's not as confined at, to like the masculine caricature right that's kind of beautiful though isn't it I think so. I, think, <laughs> I don't think it cancels out, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, like count your blessings, right? Like being like in a gay dude or whatever, right? There are some positive aspects that I think like society at large could like take from like gay, gay, gay spaces and gay dating mm. because of the nature of individuals who were like heavily ostracized by society all their life. I think that there's a lot as, as shitty as like discrimination and prejudice, as shitty as it is that these issues in society still permeate mm. i think that we've definitely make, made strides towards like inclusivity and breaking down of like toxic masculinity mm. um and i think those are aspects that straight like the straight heteronormative world could take from like gay spaces right right yeah i i find that um from all the gay or queer pe- people that i know i found that they're a lot more accepting in terms of not being hyper-masculine all the time. Like, I can be more vulnerable with people that are not, like, straight men that always... I I think it's not even their fault individually. I think we've been programmed to be hyper-masculine. And uh, I have this really cool quote from this gay rights campaigner, Peter Tatchell, uh, kind of about art and what the queer community has done for it. He said, and on the topic of masculinity, he said, contrary to the well-intentioned claim that gays are just the same as straights, there is a difference. What is more, the distinctive style of gay masculinity is of great social benefit. Wouldn't life be dull without the flair and imagination of queer fashion designers and interior decorators? Society should thank its lucky stars that not all men turn out straight, macho, and insensitive. I thought that was a really great quote because if we look at it in history, there has been a lot of queer artists that have really progressed many areas of their field. For example, Frida Kahlo, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Andy Warhol, and more recently, like Elton John, Freddie Mercury, Lil Nas X, Frank Ocean. I mean, they've done so much for their respective fields of art. So I think it's, it is truly beautiful in a way. I, like, I completely agree. I think queerness like, invites, as, as difficult of, of an experience it, as it is, like navigating queerness in um, a heteronormative society, it kind of forces individuals to to lean in on things that individuals might feel inhibited to exploring, you know? Mm. Whether that be like art or like fashion or music. The queer experience is an experience oftentimes that's a lot less defined. Mm. And I think that that's an invitation to experiment and explore things in different facets of your life that is really beneficial speaking of the whole perspective like the whole thing you just talked about about like not being able to 
talk as emotionally with your straight friends, right? Mm. I think that for a lot of queer folk, something that we learn really early on, if we are able to get through like repressions and stuff like that, is this whole notion of like vulnerability, you know, and being like open and proud of of aspects of ourselves, right? Mm. And I think that when an individual is able to be vulnerable to someone else and that's an invitation for them to be vulnerable to others and so i think that might be a reason why individuals might feel more emotionally comfortable Mm. um, towards queer folk because they know that they're less likely to be judged if they express themselves in a certain type of way yes and i think it's also with women i yeah i find myself a lot more able to express myself emotionally with women and the, the backlash that i've gotten from men is not even some thing something i saw like on movies or television people will literally clown you for for expressing your feelings and it's so shitty these are emotions that you experience you know exactly it's there regardless you know it's Mm. gonna be there if you like choose not to say or you choose to say it and if it can be helpful to be able to express it then why don't we but exactly but i think that like there's a lot to be said about toxically masculine standards that right um a lot of straight men are subjected to gay men too. Yeah, and I don't I definitely don't want to demonize the people that have perhaps shamed me or not allowed me to talk about my feelings because I understand where it comes from. Exactly. I definitely understand that you know, as as a man in general, I think there's a lot of pressure to push things down because you're expected to lead in in many cases. So I think having being emotional is never it never assists with those aspects of masculinity for example trying to lead people emotion does not help with that i think you need to think very logically as a man sometimes that makes complete sense i think that going back to like it's never the person's fault in my opinion Mm. it's a social issue at large you know like i would never fault an individual for not being able to make the space for someone else to be emotional it's not their fault it's like Mm. society has ingrained these values into them but i think it's like always like a really beautiful thing when an individual is able to like understand that these social inclinations exist and work on trying to break them down for themselves Mm. Um, yes i think it requires further thought exactly if you're trying to break out of your programming i think you really need to think and unfortunately you can't give thought to everything and so i think a lot of people default to the systemic programming exactly yeah it's hard too. Like, there's a reason why these programmings are so ingrained, you know? Exactly. And there's a reason why, against, with all their issues that they cause in people's lives, there's also a reason why a lot of these things happen in the first place, you know? Mm. That's not to say that it's justified. Because men are, like, significantly more likely to commit suicide, like, successfully commit suicide. Right. Things like that. These are issues that are leading to negative outcomes in society, you know? Mm. And it makes sense that they exist but it also is important to like scrutinize like if these social programmings are productive anymore mm-hmm. or if it, it could potentially be helpful for some people if individuals try breaking them down you know yeah for sure i think it's super cool that whilst we are talking primarily about gay love or homosexual love in this episode the fact that we're both men still demonstrates that we i guess can still empathize with each other on on these issues because we're talking about broader male issues and 
I guess on that note, I think a lot of people talk about the patriarchy and how oh, men rule society because of the patriarchy. And whilst that may be true, I don't. I think the patriarchy punishes the average man as well. I think the patriarchy is is detrimental for both men and women. Um, mm. I think women more so because it's like right. these are like this. These are the individuals who are viewed as like when we're talking about like marginalization in general. Mm. But th- these, but also. The patriarchy also benefits men a lot too, right? Um, if there's like preference towards these individuals, just as um, as like Eurocentricity benefits or Eurocentric beauty standards or Eurocentric preferences, sexual or non-sexual, you know, mm. benefit white folk as well. Right. Yeah, I think that one is a bit more one-dimensional though, because I don't think I really have not seen a lot of discrimination against white people in the form of dating there's no bad edge to it that's very that i've seen that's very maybe it's starting to show up but um yeah i think that one is actually quite just like almost pure advantage yeah not to yeah get into uh, such a high level overview of things um on society but yeah i think that's a a pretty reasonable place to wrap up right sorry do you have i have some lightning questions at the end but do you have anything else you want to talk about i think I'm good, personally. Yeah. But yeah, I, this was like a really cool conversation. And I wait. Really, oh, sorry. Lightning rounds. Oh, lightning round. Lightning rounds. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, this is a new thing. Um, number one, who do you lo- look up to? My dad. Oh, okay. I think my dad is such a cool man. Like, um, <laughs> he's like a, he's like disabled. Ah. Uh. And so he um is like one of the most caring and perseverant people I know. Very cool. What what type of disability, if you don't mind me? He has, like, a mobile disability. So he had a stroke uh, a couple of years ago. So sorry, it yeah. affected his ability to, like, walk and, and his motor functions. Mm. But, yeah. Oh, okay. Would you say he's your hero? Yeah, I'd say so. Like, mm. if you ask me, like, who do I look up most in the world, it'd be my dad. That's really cool. I think people that look up to their dads is... Uh, it's to have someone so close that, that you look up to. Exactly. That's, that's pretty fantastic. Okay. Given that it's about to be the new year, what resolutions do you have? What resolutions do I have? I want to be more introspective. I think that like a huge thing that I'm working on is that I have a lot of like negative habits mm. that like I always like justified and stuff like that that I want to start breaking down. So like a lot of like stubbornness mm. about like about how I like go about things, right? That's really vague. <laughs> <laughs> That's hella vague. Just in general, like if someone like voices something, like if I'm having a conflict with someone, I want to be more willing to like listen and like get less defensive. I want to like start going to the gym more often. That'd be really fun. <laughs> I really want to learn how to play the guitar. Oh, like I'm gonna buy a guitar and like get lessons and that'd be cool. That'd be so sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are some new resolutions. That's a good one. Learning a new instrument. Yeah, I like the introspection one. Yeah, I, I think uh, the end result of what you're trying to accomplish is actually very, very beneficial to society if we could all have more meaningful discussions as opposed to, oh, no, that's a dumb opinion and you're wrong. Exactly. And I'll stick to my guns. Yeah, the ability to discuss things constructively. And the ability not to get like defensive over like an opinion that is in direct opposition to yours, you know? Exactly. Especially like the opinions that we're, we feel really passionate about. Mm. I think it's like really beautiful to like be able to like listen to things. There are some opinions that like outright like racist or shitty opinions that that are um, 
more difficult to navigate, I guess. Mm. But I think in general, like a lot of individuals, like even if I feel really passionate about something, people have their own reasons for that. And it's cool, really interesting to listen to the reasons as to why they got there. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that, that it's always hard to demonize people because prejudice always came from somewhere that wasn't necessarily just you living in a vacuum and coming up with these outrageous notions about exactly Asian people or something. Yeah. And I think we did talk about that a bit. You know, it's a lot of the systemic programming, the societal, the Eurocentric view of things. And it's so hard to, like, I'm, I'm subject to a lot of these systemic programmings, like toxic masculinity mm. um, and what it means to be, like, quote, a man. Like, that's something I definitely want to deconstruct as well. It's hard, though. It's hard. It's, yeah. But introspection, that's a great news resolution. Okay. Anything else you want to say to the viewers, right? Anything else I want to say, want to, say to the viewers? I say... Don't take things too seriously. <laughs> I say live your best life, you know? Live your best life. Live your best life. At the end of the day, something that I've learned recently is nothing really matters that much. <laughs> but like, not like, not in like the like, fuck everyone else type of way, but like the things that we're worried about and we're scared about or the things that we invest so much energy in, it doesn't matter as much as we think it does. You know? This is very existentialist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my, my perspective is just like, live like a life that's like true to you you know and mm. what makes you happy within the constraints of like not harming others harming others yeah. yeah but like live your best life and and just trust your intuition i think that's a great conclusion to the episode live your most authentic self because this is what this episode was about you know talking about being gay in the modern world still not you know still faces a lot of prejudice but in some ways we talked about the not advantages but the beauty of it exactly yeah. yeah so to the viewers live your best life authentically live your best life authentically says rai chan take it to heart okay well rai it's been great having you on the podcast how was it how'd you find it it was good yeah i liked it a lot it was nice talking to you i yeah. feel like we all our conversation like this is just like our conversations taken to podcast because we have these conversations we do pretty often we do he's a, he's a very interesting man Okay, Rai, thank you so much for being on the pod. We will see you on the next episode of Overthinking the Modern World. This has been Rai Tran, all the way from New York. Live your most authentic self. Live your most authentic self. (laughs) See ya.